0: For the past, what, little over a year, uh, 44, 45 messages, we have been walking as a congregation but also as individuals uh, through the book of Ephesians. We've been discovering and searching for truth and, and hopefully uh, you as an individual and we as churches have understood and began to realize exactly what we have as Christians, exactly what it means to walk out the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what that looks like on an everyday basis. And uh, here as we come to the end of the book, and the last message, in, uh, like I said, a long, year-long series, uh, Paul doesn't let up as he drops off the end of the book. Uh, there, throughout the whole series, throughout all of the passages, whether you've been in, here on Sundays or in small group, going through it after the Bible study and uh, working through it, maybe on your own, there are several. Overarching themes, what I like to think of as undercurrents that run through almost every sermon that we did, almost every study that we did, because it runs through all of the verses. Paul wants us to understand that, that you and I were created to worship God, that God created us so that we might be, and he says, to the praise of his glory. We were created to worship. We were created to reflect back to God, His majesty and His beauty and His glory. But sin messed all that up. Sin became a barrier that corrupted that reflection. But Paul is encouraging us that through Jesus Christ, we now have been given not only the ability to not just reconcile that relationship, but it adds so much more. Because you see, when you become redeemed, when you become a part of God's family by accepting Jesus Christ. You are no longer just a creation reflecting worship. You are now a child of the King because not only were you a creation meant to worship, now you are adopted as a part of the family. And with that adoption comes so much more than just being able to give praise back to Him. You now have the ability to have an intimate walk with Him. And that runs throughout almost every passage of this book. That you now have been given so much more than you could ever imagine. You now have all of these uh, spiritual gifts and spiritual abilities to be able to live a life that God created you to live. And that is keyed with you following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You see, that runs throughout the whole thing. That we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to control every area of our life, for Him to lead us, for Him to guide us, for Him to convict us. And Paul also slips in there, because it's important to these early churches... The importance of community. He reminds us that you and I were not created to live in isolation. That relationships matter. Relationships with our spouse. Relationships with our kids. Our co-workers. People outside the body. But most importantly, Paul continues to focus on how much relationships within the community of faith are important. See, before the fall, relationships were just interactions. But because of redemption, God created a relationship where the body of Christ, all of those that claim to be redeemed, come together to form a powerful force for the kingdom of God. And Paul encourages us that if we could ever gather together in unity, if we could ever gather together as one, then that force will move outside the bounds of the body and begin to reach the world for the cause of Jesus Christ, begin to take the good news out. And so he he reminds us we are connected, we are interdependent. And here as he comes to the end of the passage, as the end of the book, he reflects back on that interdependence by teaching us the importance of prayer. And last week we looked at uh, Ephesians 6, 18, where Paul says as part of our spiritual battle that we are to pray. He says pray all the time without ceasing. Pray. I call it the four all's of prayer. Pray uh, all kinds of prayer. There's no wrong prayer except not praying. Pray with all perseverance. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just because it's been difficult, your blessing may be just on the other side of your prayer. Keep praying all perseverance, but be aware, he says, be focused which means pray specifically. And then he says who we were supposed to pray for, that interconnection, we are supposed to pray for all the saints. Because see, what Paul wants us to understand is that a majority of our prayer life is to be consumed with us praying for the needs of others. This is a common theme. Remember back to Ephesians 5 when he tells us that we are to submit ourselves one to another. That means that we are to put the needs of others first. And so it just goes to show that our prayer life is to be connected to praying for others all the time. And Paul wants to show why that is important as he closes out the book. Now, last week I gave you some homework. I asked you to be led by the Holy Spirit in both services to to find someone, let the Holy Spirit put someone on your heart that you would pray for every day, all kinds of prayers and all kinds of things. And I had lots of testimonies, had people emailing me, people uh, texting me and calling me and talking about them praying uh, for other people and how that prayer went. And the thing that amazed me is more people talked about how God was using them and doing things in their life. As they prayed for someone else, then I did have people say, I felt the prayers or I knew that someone was praying for me. Because I think God's trying to teach us as a body, trying to teach you that by praying for other people, that process of you dying to self and committing yourself to to praying every day for someone else and for someone else's needs, that you will be blessed in that process. Because you see, God blesses you as you pray for others. And here as Paul gets to the end of this passage, he takes that prayer that we're supposed to pray for others and, and narrows it down, gives us some direct insight on how we're supposed to pray. Because he had a lot of you tell me, well, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I told you to pray for those things in the spiritual warfare, pray for uh, faith and salvation and pray for righteousness and all those armor of God things. But Paul's going to take it to the next level. And I want you to see this morning how this prayer request that I'm calling the ultimate prayer request can totally radically transform your prayer life. And not only radically transform your prayer life, it can transform churches, it can transform families, and it can transform individuals if we'll follow some of these principles. So if you have a Bible, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, you know there are a couple of verses after this, and we're not going to talk about those. They're more uh, Paul's final greetings or Paul's saying goodbye talking about a few things so we're going to end with this passage uh, 19 and 20 in Paul's prayer request It says pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should Now one of the things that convicted me last week as I was praying, and and I tried to follow the same, I told you guys I pray for every member of our church on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and uh, I tried to ask the Holy Spirit to show me people I needed to pray for. And as I began to try to follow that same homework that I gave you, I began to realize, I began to get convicted about the depths of my prayer for other people. And I had a lot of you tell me the same thing, and asking, "What are we supposed to pray?" I don't really know how to pray deeply for these other people. You see, we we have a tendency to pray general prayers. We have a tendency to pray these prayers that are uh, not specific. Pray prayers that are uh, out there and, and that are universal, but never anything that is more direct. Do we really, I ask myself, engage ourselves in other people's lives, in other people's ministries through our prayer? Because that's what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be you joining other people's battles, you joining in their struggles through your prayer life. And and I had asked, was I joining in with what they were going through? Was I connecting to the struggles that that person I was praying for had that day? By the way, I prayed for them. And I wonder the same thing for you. I know many of you prayed and you felt God's blessings. But were you joining in the struggle? You see, the best way to do that, the best way to engage in someone's life through your prayer is by looking at the prayers that are prayed in the Bible. And Paul's prayers are a perfect example. And this prayer is a perfect example. But this isn't the first time Paul says, pray for me. Almost every one of his letters, he ends with the same salutation. Pray for me. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Pray, brothers, for us dearly. 2 Thessalonians, he ends this way. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. Colossians, he prays almost exactly the same prayer he gives in Ephesians. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God might open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then Romans says this, listen, I urge you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Now did you hear what he said? Join me in my struggle. Now when you prayed this week, did you Pray engaged or disengaged. Did you pray joining someone in their struggle? Because you see, a lot of times it's much easier to remove ourselves from other people's lives and just say general prayers. Lord, bless them. Lord, touch them. Lord, help them have a good day. But what Paul is telling us is that the body of Christ, we must commit ourselves to, to not just praying general prayers, but pray specifically, especially for our spouses and our kids and our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, and especially the other believers, but to engage them, to get involved in their prayers. You see, the same thing that Paul is doing here in Ephesians by asking us to pray for him, he's asking us to be engaged. Even though he is in prison in Rome and he's separated from them, Paul is giving his readers a chance to partner with him in ministry as they pray for him. See, Paul's saying, listen, I can't do what God is calling me to do unless I have help. Now, he needed God's help, but he's also saying, I need your help. You see, all of us need to understand and accept the fact that the reason many of us fail in what God is calling us to do is because we haven't asked others to pray for us, to join alongside of us, to see that task through. And by that same token, most of us aren't praying for other people that way. Most of us aren't joining in the struggles that other people have. You see, he needed others to take ownership of his ministry with them. Come alongside emotionally, spiritually, physically. Join him through prayer. Now, on a side note, this is a great prayer for you just to pray, obviously, just the way it's written. You can pray this for any minister, any pastor... It's a great prayer. I, I would love to know that some people in this room were praying this prayer for me before I got up here. That I that I would hide behind the cross and fearlessly proclaim the gospel, the good news. It's a great prayer to pray for missionaries. That's why we put our missionaries that are involved in this church and then other missionaries on our prayer list every week. Because you pray this prayer, you can engage them. There's not a whole lot we can do for the Chavez's or for Betty Crocker's daughter Alice that are over in a Muslim country. We We can't do a whole lot. We can send them care packages and we can give more money to the mission board. But the greatest way we can go out and engage in their ministry is every day to do battle for them in our prayer life. Now, as I said, you could pray this prayer, but you see, I think Paul was teaching us something deeper. I think there are some principles in this prayer that help us take our general prayers and make them more specific when we pray for other people. There are some things that I want you to draw your attention to to help you take the homework from last week and blow it up. Because, see, I I don't want you just to pray general get-well prayers. I want you to do battle in the heavenlies, Paul's words, for other people through your prayer life. I want you to walk out of here knowing that no matter what you face this week, no matter what struggles, no matter what battles, no matter what difficulties, no matter what victories you may face, you know that you can depend on some people in this body that are battling in the heavens for your behalf, that they are joining you, that they are going to war. When, when you go back to school and you feel like you're all alone and, and no one else is on your side and you've been left out, you know, student, that you're not alone. There are parents and there are adults that are battling and waging battle for you on your behalf. When you go to work, when you go to your friends, and, and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to share the gospel and you get scared, you need to have the confidence to know that you are being prayed up and prayed for. So, so what are some lessons we can learn? Well, a couple of things to call your attention to, really three, and so these are simple once I show them to you. The first thing is you can pray for is you can pray that other people would have God's perspective. God's perspective. Now, in this prayer, we learn a whole lot more by what Paul doesn't pray than really by what Paul prays. Think about Paul, what's going on in his life right now. When he writes the book of Ephesians, we know from the book of Acts, he's under house arrest. He tells us he's in chains But in the book of Acts, we know that he is in Rome, and he is being held before trial before the emperor, and he is under a death sentence. If he fails in his trial, he will be killed. And he is under, he's not in jail, he is in a private home. But to be under house arrest in a private home meant you had to be chained with a chain to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. So he has a chain, and imagine these chains on your arm, Linking you to a soldier all the time, everywhere you go, 24 hours a day, under threat of death. Now with that in mind, what do you think Paul would pray for? Let me be more blunt, what would you pray for? God, get me out of here, right? Right? God, help me. God, deliver me from this circumstance. God, uh, knock down these prison walls. God, uh, wipe out these Romans. I'm trying to do what you've called me to do, right? A lot of times we'll throw that pity party in there. God, I'm just doing what you told me to do, and look where I am, and look at all the bad stuff that's happening. God, these chains hurt. God, please, you know, bring me comfort. And, And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. There's nothing wrong. The Bible says pray for peace and pray for good health and pray for God to bless us. But Paul, in all of the prayers that he lists, never once discusses his circumstance or his situation. He never talks about what he's going through and how difficult it is in deliverance from that. You see, he never focuses on his physical needs. Paul seems to see a bigger picture here. And I want you to get this. You see, Paul had the ability to look at his circumstances and see them from God's perspective. He had the ability to step back and see what was going on from God's understanding. And that's the prayer that we can pray for other people. You see, all of Paul's prayers are deeply rooted in the understanding of how his life fit into God's plan. God's plan was that he take the gospel to Gentiles, the mystery of the gospel. And he recognized that, and he had the ability to step back and see it all in a big picture way. That's why he says, I am an ambassador. I love he uses that term there. Basically, what he's saying is, listen, I, I didn't choose to come here. I've been sent here, and I've been sent here on a mission to speak for someone else, to represent somebody else. He said, I am an ambassador, and to be an ambassador, I have to recognize that what I want is not what's important. What the person who sent me wants is what is important. And Paul says an interesting thing over in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. We, you and I. You see, Paul's not the only ambassador. You're an ambassador. But the only way that we can be an ambassador is if you and I are able to step back and recognize that God has a bigger perspective than what you can see. See, God's plan for Paul included he be arrested and he getting beaten and he have shipwrecks and he was imprisoned. He didn't like that any more than you and I would like it. But Paul understood instead of praying for God to deliver him from those things, He chose to consider how God was using those things to further his ministry as an ambassador. See, Paul didn't see those as trials and difficulties. Paul saw them as part of the process that got him to where he was. And Where was he? Exactly where God wanted him to be as an ambassador to Christ. You see, you and I need to begin to recognize and develop that same kind of understanding We need to be able to step back and ask for God's perspective. But let me tell you something. That's not in your nature. It's not who we are because what is our nature? We see things right here, don't we? We see things that are pressing. That's why so many struggle with depression because they can't see the big picture. They can't see that there is a tomorrow. They can't see that things are always going to get better. The sun is going to come up. What we see is right in front of us. And before you get down on those kind of people, we all do it. We move moment to moment and day by day. And and so since we can't do it and we struggle with it, do you know how you can gain that perspective? By having other people pray for you that that would become a reality for you. You see, we begin to gain perspective when other people begin to battle on our behalf praying and we need to pray on others behalf that they would gain the perspective to see things the way god sees them last week i talked about having a a god consciousness to be able to pray seeing god's needs this is even deeper this is stepping back and being able to have god perspective i mentioned earlier when i was talking with sid that church has been through a lot of different things in the last couple of years and my response through all of it to everybody who asked a question Was that before you did anything, before you said anything, before you made any comments, no matter what's going on in your life, to take a breath, to step back and look for God's hand and have a God consciousness? You want to pray a prayer for somebody that'll change their life? You begin to pray that they would begin to have God's perspective on what's going on in their life. See, from some of you, you're thinking, I'm in prison, my bank account's empty. Don't have any job prospects. Don't have any friends. Can't, can't Things aren't going the way I planned. Well, the problem is you're not looking at the bigger plan. I mean, this is nothing new. Paul prayed back in Ephesians chapter 1. He said in Ephesians 1:17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation to you so that you may know Him better. You see what Paul is saying is the more you know Him, the more intimate you become, the more you take on His perspective. The more you see things through his eyes. Paul's desire was that you and I would see the circumstances of our lives through God's eyes. How can you pray for that person that God's put on your heart? Pray that they would have God's perspective. The second thing he says here is we need to pray that they would find, follow, and focus on God's purpose for their life. Pray for God's perspective. Pray for God's purpose. And not just this ethereal will. You know, we always say, I'm just seeking God's will. Don't, don't pray that they would know God's will for their life, because that's a, that's a cop-out. Because we use that as an excuse. I mean, I, I'm just going to sit over here, and I'm just going to wait for God's will. God's will never comes while you're standing still. It always comes while you're moving. God doesn't go out and hide it like the Easter bunny. He reveals it as you follow. And so what we need to pray is that they will find it and they will focus on it after they do. And when they focus on it, then they will begin to follow it. Because you see, the thing that jumps out of all of Paul's prayers is that he is much more concerned about carrying out God's purposes over his purposes and especially over getting his needs met. What is his worry here? His worry here is that he will do what God called him to do. And we already know from earlier in Ephesians that he said, God has created and called me to share the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul knew God's purpose for his life. And so Paul said, here is the purpose. Here's how I'm going to get there. And so he asked them to pray for him. Look how he asked them to pray for him. Twice here. He says, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You see what Paul is saying is that God is calling me to fulfill his purpose in my life. And the only way that I'm going to stay on track doing that is if I know that you're praying for me. And let's be honest. How many of us spend more time praying for our needs to be met than for God's will? Think about your prayers this week. Think about your prayers for yourself. How many prayers did you lift up saying not my will but thine not what i want but what you want because you see here's what happens and i want you to see this in paul's life when we step back and begin to see god's perspective all of a sudden we begin to see how we play a part in god's perspective and once we begin to see what our part is we can begin to pursue that with passion and determination And it's in that passion and determination as we pursue what God is calling us to, as we begin to do those tasks. And it's not just one thing. There's a lot of things that God's going to call you to in your life. But as you pursue those things, you begin to get a different perspective because as you pursue them, you begin to see things even bigger. They feed off of each other. They work together. See, I I would love to get to a place where my prayer when people ask, what can I pray for you, Rusty, is... Pray that I discover and follow God's will. But when someone asks you, if I was to ask you before you came into church this morning, how can I pray for you? I wonder what you would say. Well, I've got a cough. I'm not feeling real well. Tough week this week. Got a tough week coming up. Like I said, those are okay prayers. But how I would love to be like Paul. See, Paul could have said, listen, how can I pray for you, church? He said, you know, pray that I have food because he, they didn't feed him in those homes. He had to depend on them bringing him food. He had to depend on everything he had from outside. He could have said, I'm hungry and, and I'm tired and I'm not sleeping and no one comes to visit me anymore and I'm stuck here in this jail. But that wasn't his prayer. You see, his heart and his passion was Pray that I follow God's will for my life. Pray that, that I end with tunnel vision, that I'm focused exactly on what He's calling me to, that I'm not distracted by all those outside things. Pray that I'm focused. But you see, the cool thing about all of this is that the Bible promises that when we pray God's will, He answers it. 1 John says this, 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we will have what is asked of Him. See, the Bible promises that when we pray God's will be done, it will be answered. You see, God never promises he's going to answer your request for your physical needs, for your circumstantial needs, for your situational needs. But when you begin to pray, God, let me do your will. I'll step out of it. God, get me tunnel visioned on following what you've called me to. The Bible says he will always answer that prayer. You know the even cooler thing about it? Paul never had to pray for his needs to be met because as he prayed for God's will, God took care of his needs. Because Jesus said a little thing, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. See, when you begin to focus on what God is calling you to, when you begin to go after it with a passion, God takes care of all those other things you used to worry about. And we know God answered his prayer. Because later on in Philippians, a letter that he writes after Ephesians, as he's writing to the Philippian church, he closes with this. All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now who are the saints that belong to Caesar's household? There wasn't any saints in Rome. Who were those saints? Those are the saints that Paul was telling about Jesus the whole time he was chained. See, the Roman guards thought they had Paul chained to them. But in reality, God had them chained to Paul. And so he is 24 hours a day sharing Jesus. And, and they're getting off and going home and telling their families about Jesus. And their families are getting saved. And all of a sudden, there becomes a church in Rome where there wasn't one before. Why? Because Paul was focused on his task. And all of us would look at that situation and say, I hate being chained. Paul said, I'm excited that I'm going to have a captive audience today. Because he prayed for a purpose and he prayed for a passion. The last thing, probably the most important thing we forget about, is we need to pray that they experience God's power. When you're praying for someone, you can pray that they have God's perspective. You can pray that they find God's purpose. But most importantly, pray that they experience God's power. Now, Paul was not a bad speaker. We know he was an effective communicator. Matter of fact, Wednesday night in our study this week, we're going to look at him on Mars Hill in Acts when he gets among the philosophers and twists them around through his logic and his great speaking. We know that he could speak well. We know he rarely lacked boldness, but for some reason he prays twice, let me be fearless in presenting this mystery. Why would he pray, let me be fearless? Not because he was scared. Paul was never scared. In asking this, he is clearly making us realize that for his ministry to be effective, he needs more than what he brings to the table. See, he recognized here that apart from God's power, all he had was words. See, as a pastor, no matter how much I prepare, no matter how much I plan, no matter how many good illustrations I have, no matter how much I practice, no matter how much I whittle it all down, without the power of God, it's only words. And words don't bring life. The power of God brings life. And Paul knew that he could have all of this stuff and he could have a great perspective and he could know his purpose and he could be chained to this guy, ready to share. But unless God gave him the right words at the right time and touched that guy's heart, it wasn't going to work. You see, you and I need to understand we are dependent on the power of God for everything that we do. No prayer you pray should ever end without you asking for supernatural power. Why? Because it's available. You have it. We saw in the video earlier, you have not because you ask not. See, you and I need to understand that the power to change lives is within our hearts when we tap into God's power. We all need and depend on that kind of power. So let me ask you again how do you pray for others? How do you pray for your spouse? You engage, you battle. How do you pray for your kids? You pray for your parents, your friends, your co workers, people at school, your neighbors. How do you pray for each other in the body of Christ? Are you praying that they would know God better so that they can look and see His perspective on whatever's going on in their life? Or are you just praying physical and general and superficial prayers? Are you praying that they could discover and they could follow God's will for their life and their family's life? Are you praying that they would have a boldness, understanding that the power of God can transform any circumstance and situation? Because if you're not... You're doing them a disservice. And here's why this is so important. If I'm not praying for my needs, if I'm not praying this prayer for me, and I'm going out into a lost world, I'm going out in a dangerous situation. I depend on you. You depend on me. Because you see, when I submit and begin to pray for you, I have to have your prayers for me. And so this week, listen to me, there's somebody in this room depending on your prayers. They are going to face mountains that are bigger than anything they've ever climbed. They are facing circumstances and situations that will overwhelm. And the only way they're going to get through is with you. Ian Bounds, who was the prayer leader, and I'm going to end with this, said this, and we talked about him last week about prayer. He said, effective ministry must have the prayer of other people. Good praying people give ministry its quota of success. Give our lives its quota of success. Paul is the best example. He asks, he covets, he pleads in an impassionate way for the help of all God's saints because he knew that in the spiritual realm, just like everywhere else, Where there is unity, there is strength. Where there is union, there is strength. And that the consecration, and aggregation, the building up of faith and desire and prayer increases that volume of spiritual force until it becomes overwhelming and irresistible. Then he gives a better illustration. He says units of prayer, your prayer and your prayer and your prayer, are like drops of water that make an ocean that defies resistance. He said, you you may think when you committed to pray for that person that it didn't mean anything. You may think, what can I do by praying for that missionary? What's that going to change anything? But you see, you don't understand that your drop of water mixed in with my drop of water mixed in with his drop of water all of a sudden becomes an unstoppable force, a wall, an ocean of prayers overwhelming. Overwhelming. are you praying for your family and friends would you be willing to be that drop of water that joins with the other drops to become an irresistible force in our community jesus looked at peter after peter's great admonition that that you are the christ You're the Son of God. And he said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the church. It was the establishment of the church. And he said this word. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, he didn't say that about our armor, spiritual armor. Paul didn't say, I'm going to give you this armor because the gates of hell will not prevail. Because it wasn't about us standing What he's saying is that what happens when the church begins to pray, when the church begins to come together and pray for God's perspective and God's purpose and God's power, it is like an overwhelming wash of flood that washes over our community, that washes over your homes, and it can't be stopped. But it starts with a simple prayer. This week, God's going to put somebody in your heart. I'm not going to tell you to do it. God's going to put somebody in your heart to pray for Pray these things and watch how God changes you and changes them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you for Paul's testimony and Paul's witness. And we ask, God, that you would let these words come alive in our hearts. Father, I pray that this church, if we don't do anything else, would be known as a house of prayer. God, we would be known as people that pray and that others can depend that when we say we're praying, we're praying. God, convict us right now of the shallowness of our prayer, of of how little we pray. Father, we spend more time on our phones texting than we do talking to you. Think of how much time we spend on Facebook over talking to you. God, break our hearts that if we would ever begin to pray, we complain about our nation, we complain about the direction, we complain about things that are beyond our control. If we spend half as much time on our knees before you as we do complaining, those things would change. We believed. Father, let us be that one drop of water willing to say, count me in. Speak to us, challenge us in your name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?